Hey everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the New Visionary Podcast. Today we are chatting with Kaylin Butine, a visual artist and founder of the Artist Mother Podcast and the Thrive Together Network. Kaylin, I'm so happy you're here and I can't wait to share all the amazing work you're doing with our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Victoria, and for the work that you're doing, sharing these stories and doing interviews. It's so important. Oh, thank you. I know it's been so rewarding and I feel like I learned so much from every person that I chat with and these conversations are so powerful and you are doing such powerful work. So I'd love to jump in by just learning a little bit more about your work as a visual artist and kind of start there. Yeah. So I make work with mixed media, mostly paint and domestic textiles. Um, I'm really interested in legacies of care and the ways in which um, material and fabric and different things that I work with are broken down over time, the ways in which materials kind of can show labor or uh, effects of care. And, you know, I'm also just interested in that personally as a female identifying person who is a mother and who has been mothered by many people um, in my life. I had two amazing grandmothers who are really kind of big inspirations for my work. So naturally quilting and kind of textile-based work is a big part of the visual language that I'm kind of employing in the pieces that I make. Sometimes that takes the form of creating, you know, like a quilt top and stretching it over a canvas stretcher and then going back in with paint or collage. Sometimes I just make a quilt and hang it on a wall. Um, so there's kind of different forms that my practice takes, but yeah, those are, those are kind of the basics of what I'm interested in and, and what I make. Amazing. Amazing. It's, I always love learning more about the journey of the artist as well, because I think that like everything we do, all of our personal experiences informs what we're creating today. So how would you say your work has changed? Like, have you always been exploring these uh, concepts or, you know, how has it evolved over the years? My work as a visual artist, you know, of course, there were things in my past that I definitely would say connect to my work as an artist now. For example, I um, was a communication major in college. And as we know, communication skills are like primary for being an artist. Before I became a visual artist, I was a commercial photographer. Um, and, you know, of course, that like connects to my work having kind of. A, a, a way of viewing the world, like a, an artist's perspective. And then of course, just needing to document my work and understanding what good photos are, working with people. But I 
was not a visual artist until I was already a parent. Um, and so, you know, kind of that parental identity was already existent for me. And I think for so many artists, especially artists that I interview, there's this big sort of chasm that happens when, you know, you've built up this career, you were an artist, and then you decide to become a a parent and you're kind of always trying to figure out how those two things can work together. For me, you know, I decided to go to grad school. I decided to become a painter after I already had a kid. So it's just always been there. My work has always in some ways related to my maternal experience. I will say, you know, now I don't necessarily make work about being a mother, but the intersection of, you know, care and domestic life and labor is very present in my work and what I'm thinking about. And yeah, it's just always been there because like I said, I was already a parent when I became an artist. You know, my work has changed over time in that I've included more mixed media, um, included textiles. I started out as a painter in grad school, not using any other material besides canvas and paint. And rather quickly, I would say, discovered that I wanted more. I wanted material with apparent history, you know, rather than a new bottle of paint. I wanted something with wear or something with, that was already in conversation, some, something that somebody had created and started. Um, and that's where textiles kind of started to come into my practice. Amazing. That was one of the questions I had for you is like where textiles kind of came from and what inspired you to use textiles in your work. And I'm sure you are get this question all the time. I can only imagine, but what was it about your experience becoming a mother, becoming a parent that inspired you to start painting and to really like further your artistic practice? I actually think it was more about my career um, and really what I was spending time doing, but certainly the influence of being a parent was part of those desires. You know, when you're a commercial wedding photographer, you spend a lot of time in front of your computer and I just continually felt drawn to a different way of making. I remember, you know, I would work all weekend shooting weddings and then, you know, would be home with my baby and he'd be like playing on the floor or doing whatever. And I'd like have my computer like on my lap and editing photos. And I don't know, I just, I didn't feel like I was spending my time in the way I really wanted to, but more of that was just rather than the parenting thing. I think more of that was really just wanting to do something with my hands wanting to not be consuming like digital means of art and also not wanting to be limited to creating digital art. Um, and yeah, I just kind of started painting at that point. I didn't go to school for visual art initially. And I think I would have probably landed up in a more material-based practice earlier if I had done that. So, you know, it just took me longer to get here, but I think it was, you know, the natural path 
for me. Um, and I think adding textiles is also part of that trajectory too. Like, you know, you learn how something works, what it, what the gestures are, what the ritual is of pouring paint out of a bottle and picking up a brush and putting it on the canvas. And eventually, you know, I wanted to rip things. I wanted to cut things. I wanted to push a needle in and out. Like I wanted more action, more kind of a juicier process, I guess. Um, and, and textile, you know, became a part of that. Also the mobility of working with textiles, you know, you can kind of very neatly pack something up and put it in a Ziploc baggie and take it with you wherever you go. Um, unlike painting, um, and certainly parenting influenced that, that part of my practice too, in just wanting to be able to work on more things when I wasn't able to be in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I I think it's also totally understandable that like, as you started to dive further into your practice, you were craving an even more like material-based sort of hands-on experience because I think like, I mean, I kind of can relate a little bit in the sense that like I spend so much time online, like, Mm -hmm. like probably like eight to 10 hours a day. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. your, your body just starts craving it. Like even like anything where you're like touching something or, um, anything physical that's like just really tactile. And and I don't know, I, it's, I think natural, like we still have that human connection and desire to work with materials in the way Mm -hmm. that we have for so long. And I think our bodies just like yearn for that. Um, and I wanted to ask you what like shift or change did you notice when you started to dive further into your practice after having your, your child, like what did, how did that impact you? Um, I think it impacted less the work I was making and more how I was feeling as an artist. Um, because that experience of isolation, you know, just becomes so much more real. Like I think artists have innate isolation and loneliness within them because they're doing this thing that a lot of people don't understand. They, you know, many of us don't live near other artists and we just, we feel, you know, kind of out of the loop of like, American sort of work culture. And, you know, we're, we're kind of like living these lives of isolation many times. And, and then to, of course, add parenting to the mix, which is, you know, the way that it (laughs) exists in this country in particular is quite an isolating experience without a lot of support and nourishment. So, yeah, I I think my practice was less influenced you know, in terms of my materials, but just my perspective as an artist. And that's really why I started the Artist Mother podcast, because I just, I just felt like I needed to understand how other people were doing this, like how they were, how they were practically figuring things out. You know, my interviews have always been very grounded in kind of, okay, but what does your day look like? Like, where's childcare coming from? You know, like 
those are like the the things that I'm interested in hearing other artists kind of suss out and and talk through. Um, because when I was a young mom, like I'm still a young mom, but you know, I have a middle schooler now, so my kids are getting getting a little bit older, but um I think that is just so you know, on the forefront is like hour to hour, how do I do this? Like, how do I make this work? You know? And so even more so now I see the podcast as an extension of my art practice practice. I think when I first started it, I was like, I'm just doing this thing and I don't really know how it relates to my, you know, the paintings that I'm making or the art I'm making. But now that I've seen the ways in which it's influenced my career and the other opportunities that I've had curating and um, community building and doing different things, you know, I, I think it's just like a branch of who I am as an artist. Yeah. It's all connected. That's, I appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that too, because it's something that I've come to realize as well. Is like, it's not as separate as we initially might think it is. It's all connected. Mm-hmm. And like, the conversations that you have on the podcast, I'm sure have influenced you creatively and artistically, but I also just appreciate you wanting, cause I'm, that's very much my approach to, I'm like, what does this actually look like? <laughs> like I'm always right. very curious about the how behind things and like how people are making it work. And I'm not a mom, but I always say like moms are superheroes and most of my friends at this point are mothers. Many of the artists that I know and work with are mothers and I just think it's so amazing and so admirable for you to, and also so, so inspiring for your children to see you. Mm -hmm. Like that's the most, I think one of the most amazing parts about it is for your children to grow up seeing you creating and prioritizing your art career and showing them what's possible um, Mm. and just setting that beautiful example for them. So I wanted to ask you like, and I'm sure this is also a question you've probably been asked a lot, but what advice would you give to a new mother or, and perhaps someone who is, you know, wanting to have, and there's so many artists that I've spoken with that want to have kids and they're a little bit nervous about how it might impact their art careers or, you know, could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I can speak to my own experience. And then of course, you know, the, the many, many interviews that I've done, there's definitely themes that come up. I think in terms of advice, like one thing that comes to mind is just accepting the evolution of the process. Like I think many of us are so kind of fixated on figuring it out. Um, I mean, I, I just shared that was part of the reason I was inspired to start a podcast, right? Because I wanted to hear how other people were like figuring it out and how they were making it work. But I think the minute that you like get a solution in place, something changes and, you know, your kid goes through sleep regression or you have a parent who falls ill or you have like a change in your income or like... I think especially with young motherhood, like there's just so many changes so quickly, like in the growth and development of a child that you're like nourishing and raising that really adopting a sense of like malleability if possible. And just like understanding that, you know, it is a phase and there will be more stability, like 
brought back into your future. But if you can kind of let go of some of that control for a couple years, I think it makes the process a bit easier and that you can understand that, you know, you just can't keep all the balls in the air. Like you, you can't like continue forward in the way that you were. Number one, we don't have the resources and support in this country to do that. But number two, I just don't think it's humanly possible to, to like be a new parent and continue at the pace that you were going before you were a parent, you know? And, and so I think if you've like made the choice to, to bring a child into the world, like letting go of some of that control is, is just going to be part of what will hopefully be a, a journey towards like giving yourself more grace, um, during those first couple of years. Cause yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. I, so I've heard, um, yes. you know, like I said, I haven't experienced it myself, but I can only imagine. And I love what you're saying about just kind of accepting and letting go and understanding that it's going to be different. And also like mm-hmm. probably that it's, you know, temporary in the sense that everything is always shifting and evolving. Like mm-hmm. how your art practice looks when you first have your child is probably different than how it's going to look when they're a little bit older. And, um, I'm, I would imagine that you become quite flexible or like you have mm-hmm. to become quite flexible and adaptable. I mean, again, I don't, I don't have this experience, but just from observation, like my friends that are mothers are so flexible and so adaptable and just like, also I've noticed totally maximize any time they have. Mm-hmm. So even if like one of my good friends, if her child is sleeping for an hour, she's like, I get more done in that hour than I ever used to get done in that amount of time because I know that it's like (laughs) so precious. So just from observation, I've seen like just these amazing women who are able to find ways to make it work. And it's, yeah, it's just really beautiful to see. I think that's how I was, Um, you know, and now like there are days that go by and I'm like, I I got like two things done today. I used to get 10 things done, like when my kids were home and, you know, I I had all this on my plate. Um, I also think that that is not every artist parent's experience. I do think there are artist parents who completely need to set their art practice aside for five years. And I just want to normalize that experience too, because being kind of a type A overachiever, I think that motivation that I've always carried and that I carried for a long time throughout the early years of my kids, you know, being at home and also like doing all the things, starting a podcast, creating a network. Like, you know, I did all that when I had young kids at home and I had a lot of friends who I think really struggled, like watching me maximize my time in that way because they had completely different experiences with how overwhelmed they were with their mental health. And I've, I've tried to on the podcast, you know, talk about ways in which there's no one way to do it. And like, I think there are like these classic stereotypes of artist mothers that they, you know, that they maximize every minute, but I think like just like sitting on the couch and snuggling with your kids is also like valuable and taking a complete break from your art career is also valuable. Like prioritizing your 
your mental health, you know? And I think, I, I think I wish I had done more of that. Um, I, I feel like I pushed a little too hard and, and I don't mean that in a cliche, like, and now my kids are grown up and I regret Mm -hmm. it. Like I have no regrets. I'm not a person who holds regrets over my head. And I also hate when parents are kind of scorned for being ambitious and being motivated when they have young kids. But I, I just want to normalize, you know, the experience of like overwhelm and, and of just like taking a break too from your art practice when you become a parent. Cause I think, I think that's okay. And it doesn't make you less of an artist, you know, another kind of theme that comes up a lot when I interview artist parents is that they're really in it for the long game, the long haul, the long term, like, and the particular short season that they're in doesn't discount, you know, kind of a legacy of making art for 60 years. It's like a blip on the radar, right? So just remembering that art is valuable enough to you that you're going to be doing it till you're 80 and this short time you know, it's okay to, to slow things down, I guess. Absolutely. It's, it's so important, I think, to zoom out and have that perspective because on one hand, we feel like time is going so fast. I have to do this now. And like, you know, there's like this, a little bit of time scarcity that, that I think we all experience. But on the other hand, remembering we still have a lot of time. And I love what you said about like, those years, it might, five years might sound like such a long time, but actually it is such a small blip when you zoom out and you look at your entire life. Um, And we've talked about this on the podcast before, not so much in relation to parenting or motherhood, but we've talked about how like there are times in an artist's life, there are times in everyone's life where they might have to step back from the art practice and that's just reality. Like it could be that you're a caregiver for elderly parents. It could be that you have other responsibilities or for some artists, they've got, they have a, a, you know, a nine to five that could be really demanding and requires so much time and energy. And that's okay. I'm all for normalizing this as well, because we do tend to feel, I think as artists, like uh, when we take a step back from our work, whether it's for a few months or a few years, it's very easy to have these feelings of guilt or shame or like, you know how you said, feeling like you're less of an artist. I mean, I've experienced that before. So many artists that I've spoken with have experienced that. And it's remembering like, if you are an artist, you are a creative individual that cannot be taken away from you. And it's not contingent on how much you're producing. And sometimes taking that step back, it can actually be one of the best things for you. So it is such a unique experience and um, it's so different for everyone, but there is absolutely no shame in that. And I, I'm really glad that we're talking about this because it's something I'm really passionate about um, speaking on as well. I know what that's like to have, you know, when I started VAC, I went all in and I definitely took um I put my work on the back burner for a little bit, even though I wasn't parenting, I was like building a company and it was so much time and energy. And it's just like remembering I can return to this at any point. It's safe. It's safe to take this time away and it might actually lead to something even more powerful in my practice Mm -hmm. later on. Absolutely. I think a lot about 
I don't know if this was like a Brene Brown teaching or where I heard this. I'm sure I've heard it multiple places, but the kind of interchanging the the word, um, the words should and could, mm. like those kind of rules that we place on ourselves. Like I should be doing this. I should be spending 40 hours a week in my studio. I should be having a solo show every year. I should be. And it's, you know, just that like slight change of, I could, Mm -hmm. I could spend 40 hours a week in the studio, or I could spend 10 hours a week in the studio and live a more balanced life. You know, like, yeah, (laughs) I think, I think about that a lot. And then another thing I think about a lot is my business partner for the Thrive Together Network, Jamie Smith. She, you know, when we're getting like ourselves in a tizzy about things, she'll, she'll remind me, you know, we're, we're not heart surgeons. Like nobody's dying on our table if we don't get this done. So (laughs) sound advice. Yes. You know, like art is so important. Obviously, like I've put everything into like how much I value art, but at the end of the day, like I'm not saving anybody's life here. You know, like I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm, you know, making beautiful things and hopefully making connections for people and, you know, shifting culture, of course, that's like the dream, right? But, you know, I I still think there's, we have needs that are more important sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And like, for many of us, we also have other passions, other interests, other things that we want to do. And it's very easy to get wrapped up in our identities as artists. It's finding that balance. And um, I remember I shared on the VAC Instagram, like I've shared these posts a few times about how it's it's okay and it's safe to step back and uh, acknowledge like if you have other responsibilities, if you have a job, like other, like a, pol- a full-time or a part-time job or whatever it is, it's taking you away from your practice. That's okay. And anytime mm-hmm. I post something like that, there are so many, I mean, we've literally gotten like hundreds of comments before mm. from artists that are like, thank you for sharing this. I have felt so guilty or I have felt so just like down on myself for not getting into the studio. And this is just a reminder that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, again, like going back to this idea, does it make you less of an artist? And Mm-hmm. It's important because I think I'll just also just acknowledging like it's hard. It is hard. I'm not even a parent, so I can't even imagine like also being a parent that it's hard to balance all the things. And I think it's just like you know, I often share the mindset that I adopted several years ago that's been really helpful and constructive for me is it's not about having endless hours in the studio. It's doing what you can with the time you have. And that could literally be 15 minutes one day. It could be five minutes another day. It could be a full hour one day. But it's like, if you come from that perspective, you start to celebrate, you know, the wins of like, I did a sketch today, or I had a few minutes to update my website versus like coming from this place of lack and not having enough time because Mm -hmm. literally all that does is just make us feel worse about everything. Well, yeah. And like all those artists commenting on that post, like I feel guilty and thank you for the permission. Like it just shows the power of capitalistic conditioning, right? Like we're just conditioned to think that we have to 
act in a certain way. We have to produce in a certain way. We have to work a certain amount of hours. Um, I'll just throw a resource in here that's been really helpful to me. Beginning of this year, I, I read Rest is Resistance, which is a book by Tricia Hersey. Have you read that? I haven't read it, but I there was an interview with Tricia Hersey, and I think it was Glennon Doyle on We Can Do Hard yeah. Things. And I have listened to that episode like so many times. It's one of the most powerful episodes I've ever yes. listened to in my life. Yeah. And her book is really good. I mean, the concepts, I've also listened to that episode and I love how podcasts can kind of give you like the cliff notes version <laughs> of something, yes. Yes. but you know, I, I definitely still recommend the book because obviously yeah. there's like more detail into certain things, um, you know, that, that Trisha goes into, but yeah, I just, you know, and I was thinking earlier as we were chatting about this, like I almost said, and I guess I'm going to say it now, although it's not 100% true, but it's like the further away I get from grad school and from like undergrad, the less I feel beholden to those shoulds, you know? But I also, I don't, I didn't want to say that because I actually totally believe in the power of education. Like my husband is a college professor and I, I, I'm not one of those people who looks down on folks for like getting their MFA. I actually think it's like a really wonderful thing, but I do think, you know, educational structures like that tend to become those voices that turn into the shoulds that we then carry. And at the end of the day, those institutions are capitalistic businesses, you know? So I think all of that, like, kind of connects. And it's so hard for an artist to detach from those, you know, those expectations and those kind of things that we've been conditioned to believe about how we're supposed to exist in the world. And it's just so hard for artists because our natural inclination is to question those things, to exist outside of them. So then I think that's where that chasm comes of, feeling alone, feeling like nobody understands us, feeling like our ideas are stupid because we're comparing them to like the next big thing of like Instagram success, you know? I'm I'm getting a little soapboxy, but I <laughs> I just it's all connected. It's all connected and actually <laughs> as you were talking, I was like just thinking like to your point, social media, and I mean, I love social media. Obviously, it's like mm -hmm. how I built my business and I'm forever grateful for it. And I actually genuinely enjoy using it as a means of connection and creating connections amongst artists and all of that. But it definitely perpetuates this idea of I'm not doing enough because we see mm -hmm. artists that we, you know, as we always say, like on someone's social media, on Instagram, particularly, you are seeing the highlight reels. So you're seeing what all these artists are putting out and it's very, very easy to compare yourself. It's actually really mm -hmm. takes an active effort, I think, to not compare yourself to fellow artists or fellow entrepreneurs. And we start to create this idea in our heads that everyone else is so much further along. I have to race to keep up, but we're not seeing the full picture. We're not seeing their struggles or you know, like what's actually happening 
behind the scenes. So I think it's just like a matter of putting it all into perspective, but also to your point of unlearning. I had an amazing undergraduate experience at SVA in New York City. And even though that was an experience that shaped everything that I'm doing today, I think coming out of art school, because I've spoken with so many artists who went to a sort of traditional like undergraduate program, there's a lot of unlearning I'm doing at the same time. Like things that were instilled into me from my professors that I'm like, I I can appreciate their point, but I actually really need to undo this or like unsubscribe from this belief because it's hindering my practice. Well, and I think that's what, that's like the mark of a good educational experience mm-hmm. is if you're developing the skills to even be able to unlearn something, yeah. you know, like I look back at, I'm not a Christian anymore, but I went to like a Christian institution in my undergrad. And I still think that I had a great education. Like I would never send my kids to that school now. Like I would never choose to go there now. But what was so good about that college is that like, yes, it had this like foundation of Christianity, but it was at the time, a college that really pushed you to be a thinker. It pushed you to ask questions. It encouraged you to disassemble a thought. And I I think like that is what education does, like that can't be replicated. It's not good education when you're just conditioned to believe something and move forward in you know, the building of that structure that then supports like the the capitalistic machine. Right. But if, if like you're expressing and like I'm expressing, if, if you've been taught like how to process and how to think, even if it means pointing those fingers back at the very institution that like taught you those things, that's, what's like so valuable, you know? When I was young and I was in art school, I was, you know, like many young artists, very impressionable. So especially a lot of what my male professors instilled into me in terms of what was considered important art and the kind of art we should be making. I really listened to all of that. And now years later, like literally 12 years out of art school, I'm like, oh, wait, I can paint landscapes and there's value in that. It's not just, Mm -hmm. it's not just decorative. It's not like I can, you can create whatever kind of art you want to create and whatever feels right to you. That was one of the biggest things um, Mm. that came out of, came out of my experience, but there was also so, so many valuable things that I learned along the way. And I think it's just like going through everything and deciding like what you want to hold on to, what you don't and letting go of what's Mm. no longer serving you. Yeah. And that skill of discernment, Mm -hmm. I think, is what is truly like valuable. And yeah, like as you were talking, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, I think in grad school, especially you're, you're pushed to like, I don't know, like to create something that nobody else has ever created. And, and maybe that's not just grad school, but just one of the artist myths out there, right. Is that you're like the mark of a good artist is like a person who puts something in the world. That's like brand new. And, you know, I I think this was like a very like male abex, like tradition in thinking. And that's also why, like kind of bringing it back to my own work, like that's why I think I've 
become so interested in textile and mixed media work is I feel like it's much more feminist to say there was already conversations happening. There was already material existing in circulation. There was already people with like big ideas, people who were exhibiting care, people who were doing things before me and pulling like threads that exist out in the world, whether it's like material circulation, like literally of like an old dish towel or, you know, a a old quilt block that somebody like somebody's grandmother made and then they put it on eBay or they put it in a thrift store. Like, I'm just so interested in those threads of like conversation. And yes, like there's an element of creating something new outside of that, but it's the like inserting myself into like community and conversation that is so much more interesting to me than just completely creating something that no one's ever thought of before. It's like a a balance of like listening and learning and then, you know, sharing my own ideas and my own vulnerability, you know, like I, I just, it's something I'm, I've like really been thinking about a lot in my studio practice and like why textile matters to me and why I want that to be part of my work. Cause I, of course I get asked that question a lot and I don't know, it's like the answer kind of keeps revealing itself to me. Um, and, and that idea of like legacy and conversation that's beyond me, I think is like the real reason, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many good points that you raise and I think it is actually more powerful to build off of uh, work that has inspired you and filter it through your own lens mm-hmm. than to feel this pressure of like, I have to create something new. It reminded me of another like really powerful book that, have you read Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon? Yes. Yeah, I probably yeah. figured. But I mean, he talks all about that. And it's like, mm-hmm. instead of trying to just co- constantly come up with like an original idea, it's like, it, you know, it's even questioning, like, is there such thing? <laughs> like everything is inspired by so many different, I think a more important question that my friend Marina Press Granger often asks artists, and I love this question so much, which is how does my unique experience inform the work I'm creating? And I think that's mm-hmm. really the question to create yes. our work from rather than how can I create something that, and and I definitely felt a bit of like many young artists pressure. In fact, I would say that that, that trying to create something that is purely original and never been done before can lead to such analysis paralysis yes. that it's enough to just stop you altogether. Yeah. Cause I look back at what, at my time in art school and I'm like, I, I didn't really get rooted in my practice until my junior senior year the first couple years were really challenging for me in terms of figuring out what to create and I think part of that is normal like you're young you're experimenting you're trying so many new things but I think I also felt really paralyzed by this pressure that also probably came from within as well of Mm -hmm. like I've got to create something totally new and original and it's (laughs) like such a big thing to try to do. So it's just more like leaning into where you find inspiration and what work is speaking to you. My work has changed so much in the last few years 
because I started leaning more into the kind of work that was speaking to me and allowing that to inform my practice. And I think yes. that's also imp- an important conversation as well as like allowing your work to change, your voice yes. to change. And that's also safe. That's also okay if your work today looks totally different than it did two years mm-hmm. ago or five years ago. Yeah. And I think the longer that you make work, the more you'll realize that it's all actually connected anyway. Like I think we, I I had those like same fears, like the first couple of years I was starting out, I felt so paralyzed by finding like my voice and like my visual language. And whenever I kind of had a new idea that like strayed from that, I felt like I wasn't being authentic to like this system that I like thought I had to work within. But, you know, like, again, the very nature of being an artist and existing in the world as an artist, as an artist is to be inspired by those like organic ideas that kind of can infiltrate your practice. And I just think that, you know, the, the longer, like, I made work, the more I realized that those ideas actually do all connect and it all looks like it came from me, you know, like you feel like, oh, it's not on brand or it's not, you know, gonna, people aren't going to know it's mine or whatever. And it's like, again, if you're less focused on, you know, what you're making in the studio right this minute, this one piece and more about having a legacy as an artist, um, I think you're, you just like are less concerned with, you know, those kind of things related to your brand or your whatever, you know, you're, you're more like in it for the lifestyle that it offers you because you value those things. It it makes total sense. And I love what you're saying about how, because I, I'm of that belief too, that if you look really closely, even if your work looks visually very different than it did you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, which for many of us, it does. If you look really closely, you can usually identify similar themes or ideas mm-hmm. or, or even like it could, it could be the color palette. Like you'll notice it could be the mark making, like certain things that are consistent um, or are connected maybe is a better way mm-hmm. of saying it. And yeah, just, con- just thinking like, what is the, what is going to be the most meaningful to you? Because when you come from that place, then you usually create work that is most meaningful to your audience as well. So it's like, I always feel like being an artist is a constant quest to just pull from like the deepest place. And then when you get to that place, like try and pull from a deeper place. Um, Cause that's when you really make the work that I think impacts you and your viewers. Yeah. And you know, kind of this constant journey of further understanding yourself and the decisions that you're making. And for me, like widening that circle even further to like, where did I come from and who are the people who like shaped me and who are the people that I'm shaping, right? Like kind of extending that circle, like even one generation out, it like opens up so much, like so many possibilities and like ways to think about things and materials to bring in and concepts to explore. So like we as individuals have so much more to offer, you know, than I think we realize we're always looking kind of outward at other artists and what they're doing. And it's like, there's just like a wealth of inspiration in us just living our lives and, you know, 
having a lens turned on our own like story. Yeah. It's like leaning into your personal experience and allowing that to inform your work if that feels aligned to you. Because often in doing that, you create work that is really personal, but also universal in the sense that so many mm-hmm. other people can connect to it. And I actually think like, as you're talking, I'm like, this is such a great way for any artist who might be listening, <laughs> um, who might be experiencing like creative block or mm-hmm. feeling stuck within their practice. I think these are all really important and helpful questions to return to if you're feeling mm-hmm. stuck within your practice. And sometimes taking time to just reflect on like your experience or like you're saying, looking at your family history or things that might like just turning inward. I think that Mm -hmm. practice of turning inward and allowing that to inform your work and seeing what Mm -hmm. can grow from there is really powerful and can get you out of a creative rut sometimes. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're somebody who feels like, oh, but there's just nothing interesting about me, like I've never gone through XYZ that I see other artists making work about, like even just asking yourself like, a material-based question, like, Mm -hmm. why do I like paint? Mm -hmm. What is it about? You know, like, (laughs) you can turn that, those questions in on yourself, like, in many different ways. It doesn't have to be, like, conceptual or, like, what traumatic thing do I need to make work about? You know, like, I I think just... Just like having a practice of investigation, I feel like, is what we're, we're getting at, like, really strengthening your research. And that can take many forms. Like that doesn't always mean figuring out what painters made this color of paint popular and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, just, just doing like personal investigative research and, and being more, more curious in yourself as an artist, I think can open up a lot if you're experiencing creative block. Absolutely. And like allow it, as you're saying, allowing that curiosity to guide your practice. And I, I mm-hmm. love also how you said, like, it doesn't always have to be so, I don't know if like intense. Highbrow. Yeah, so highbrow. Like for me, I'm just like, why yeah. do I, like I've been asking myself lately, why do I always return to landscape? Like, what is it about the land that I'm so drawn to? And then I start thinking about memory and like personal experiences growing up and in England and the countryside, like it just starts to generate all of these things that I might not have been fully aware of, but it can just start with a really simple question. Like, why am I drawn to this? Mm -hmm. What about this feels inspiring to me or feels aligned? Mm -hmm. So these are great questions. Kaylin, I am so (laughs) grateful that you came on the podcast. I mean, I could just, we could continue the conversation for I know. I feel hours. like we just got started, <laughs> Victoria. We're we're just scratching the surface here. I know. I'm like, you'll have to come back. We'll have to do like a part two of this episode at some point for sure. Definitely. But it's such a pleasure to to chat with you and learn a little bit more. You're doing amazing work. And you know, the the work that you're doing is so meaningful. You've created this, I feel like it's an understatement to say this incredible community because As I mentioned before we even started recording, I've spoken with so many artists who just speak so highly of you and your community and how much it has impacted them um, and their ability to propel forward in their work. And thank you for coming on. Well, right back at you. I I think we need more camaraderie and support for those of us who are doing network building and, you know, trying to provide opportunities for artists because that has its own 
mantle of loneliness. Um, so I see you and the work that you're doing and the stories you're sharing. And, um, you know, I definitely appreciate that you're doing it too. Cause it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to do that alongside your own art practice. It's a lot of things, but it's, yeah, it's definitely worth it, but it's a balancing act for sure. Yep. Thank you so much, Kaylin. I will include all of your info in the show notes and thank you everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.